This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We'll now read from the Bible and please take a moment to grab your Bibles or turn on your Bible apps. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 all the way to chapter 5 verse 2. You can also follow us on the screen as well. So we begin with uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly beloved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Pastor Andrew will now take over and uh, will give us the sermon for today. Thank you, Johnson, and a very good morning to everyone. Now, if you have your Bible with you, it would be great to keep it open. And if you need a bulletin, you can find it on our website. It's right on the screen there, bdbc.sg forward slash bulletin. Now, once again, I want to extend a warm welcome to everyone, those that uh, have been going um, to physical church, but now on Zoom, or those who have been coming to Zoom for the past months. Um, it's great to be here, and we thank God that we can still meet despite of the restrictions. Why don't we begin by asking God to help us? 
as we open up His Word. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful to you that you have been sovereign over all things and despite uh, the pandemic and the restrictions that we are still able to meet as a church. Right now, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us and strengthen and guide us, that our minds can engage with your word, that our hearts can respond to your truth, that our hands can be strengthened to live up what you have called us to. We pray for those who have been going through a tough week of uncertainties. We pray, God, that you will bring comfort to us and those in other parts of the countries where they're going through great difficulties and many deaths, that you bring comfort and you give strength to the churches and that your gospel will reach those who desperately need it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it feels like a deja vu that our whole church is now back to church at home via Zoom again. And before long, perhaps tomorrow, the topic of what we are wearing behind the camera will come back up. Just last year, there were fashions catered specifically for work-from-home people. Suits with stylish PJs and even Crocs. Well, the reality probably looks a lot more like this. This man in a suit with shorts and slippers. Now, even those who went live in America on CNN news such as Dr. Gretchen Goldman, she wanted to show the contrast between what is expected and the reality that she has. And so she put up on Twitter after um, being on TV what actually looks like at home. And very quickly, her colleagues and followers responded to a tweet with their own versions of the public view versus their reality back home. In fact, here's the thing. You and I, we could skip brushing our teeth or bathing for a week and no one can smell you. But the reality is that what we wear and how we behave are still clearly seen by our own family. Well, this morning we're asking an insider question within the church family, and that is, what are we wearing as Christians? Now, I don't mean what we put on physically in front of Zoom right now, but rather what are we wearing in our behavior and character within the church family? Well, if you're someone who likes a structure and find helpful, here's where we're heading today and over the next two weeks. For today's passage in Ephesians 4, we'll be looking at putting off our old Gentile self from verses 17 to 19, putting on our Christian self from verses 20 to 24, and putting into practice what it means for Christians to relate as a church in verses 25 to chapter 5, verse 2. And then there'll be two more practices that will come in in the next two weeks on Christians in relating to the world and the Christian household where you have the famous wedding sermon. So jump in with me as we begin by looking at the very first verse of today's passage. You can look at the screen or you can look at your own Bible. This is what it says. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Now, Paul, he was writing to Gentile Christians in and around Ephesus. 
So he was not calling them to pretend that they were not Gentiles by ethnicity. In a sense, it's like telling us that dyeing our hair blonde doesn't make us any less Chinese ethnically if we are born Chinese. No, Paul was not speaking about their earthly ethnicity, but about their spiritual ethnicity. The efficient Christians now belongs to God's spiritual household. So they must no longer live or walk as if they were not part of God's family. To walk as the Gentiles do means to live as if they are not part of God's spiritual family. Now, in the previous weeks, we were told that all Christians have been born into God's family. We have a new spiritual identity. And the two verses before today's passage in Ephesians 4, 15 to 16, it tells us that Christians, we are meant to grow in maturity, united as the body of Christ. Therefore, because of our new identity and purpose, Christians, we are not to walk as those who live apart from God's family. Now, what does the Gentile way of life look like? Well, Paul goes on to say, first of all, that the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. To be sure, Paul doesn't mean that Gentiles are not intelligent in the earthly realms because many are all very intelligent and successful in this physical realm. But Paul is saying that they are futile in their thinking because they are not guided by God's objective truth. This Gentile world, if it believes in many gods, like the city of Ephesus, they will live by subjective truths and purposes. Because the gods are known to be more powerful than humans, but they are not more moral. But if the Gentiles do not turn to these man-made gods, they will naturally make gods out of themselves. And they will decide at every generation what they perceive to be right or wrong. So what is good in the previous generations could quickly be considered as evil and vice versa. The direction of the Gentiles thinking and walking, Paul says, is futile because there is no spiritual fruits before God and they do not acknowledge God. Now, second, Paul goes on to say the Gentiles are darkened in their understanding of their minds. They're not only walking in the dark, they're navigating lives with very dark shades over their eyes. They're unaware that they are already, verse 18 says, they are already separated from the life of God. They're oblivious of spiritual dangers as they go about in their lives. Now, last month, um, just last month in the New York Times, they published the news of two men who tragically got killed in a driveless Tesla car crash. The constable who was speaking to reporters said that no one was driving the vehicle when the car crashed and burst into flames. He said this, the vehicle, it was a 2019 Model S, was going at a high rate of speed around a curve at 11.25 p.m. when it went off the road about 100 feet and it landed and hit a tree. Now, these two men, they had no idea what they were getting into just minutes before their car crash when they waved goodbyes to their wives to go for this 
drive. It was a very, very tragic event. But here, Paul is telling us his words when it comes to the spiritual realms, that the Gentiles being driven by the ignorance, navigated by their hardened hearts, are already, verse 18, separated from life as they go for their drive. The human heart, say the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, he says, the human heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand the human heart? Paul says in verse 18, if you look at it, that the spiritual Gentiles, they are darkened in their minds and separated from life, alienated from God. Why? Because of the ignorance in them due to the hardening of their hearts. In fact, verse 19, it goes on to say that they have given themselves over to sensuality. They have put away the remorse that they should have. So no wonder this is the situation that God, Paul says that the Christians must not go back to. Now I wonder if some of you find this familiar. When we first get our driving license, this is what we do. We are really careful to keep to the speed limit and to all the regulations. And then one day, you are late for appointment and you decide to drive just a little bit faster. As you drive a bit faster, your heart skips a bit when you pass the speed uh, limit sign. You might even have slowed down a bit. But after a couple of times of going past the speed limit, the guilty feeling start to become less and less obvious. And you found yourself crossing the speed limit more often than you even realize. And it's no longer guilt when you pass the speed limit sign. You are looking for the speed camera to see if you get a fine. Or you may even get angry with cars in front of you whose keeping of speed limit are making you late for your appointment. I wonder if some of you have that experience. Now, the heart does the same when it comes to lying, deception, anger, any kind of sinful indulgence or habits. The first offense seems to be the hardest, but the rest start to become natural. The ignorance and the hardening of the heart led not only to the insensitivity to the moral issues, it actually increases the desire for immorality. It's a, a downhill journey. Verse 19, it goes on to describe actually how the Gentiles, they would give themselves over to sensuality so as to greedily indulge in every kind of impurity. It is like removing the brakes of the car and then started driving downhill with dark shades over the spiritual eyes, heading straight for a broken spiritual breach. This is what Paul repeats in other letters, such as Romans in Romans 1. Now, some of us may think, hey, wait a minute, this description of gentle lives is a bit too extreme and it's very offensive. Wait a minute, most of us, Perhaps we're not that bad. We, we try to live moral lives. Now, yes, I, I do say a few white lies, but at least I don't cheat on my income tax. Maybe. 
Yes, I, I, I may gossip, but I don't mean any serious harm. Perhaps. Now, it is true, the Bible, when it comes to this description, sounds very offensive. And this is where I would like to quote Simon Austin in his book on efficiency as he tried to explain actually how serious a crisis we all have without God and without his word. So I want to read uh, what um, Austin says. It's a long paragraph, so I put it up on the slide uh, so that we can look at it as I read it for us. Okay, can you all see that? Okay, it's a long paragraph, so let me read it for us. It says this, It is not that non-Christians are unable to decide what is right and wrong. It is simply that the non-Christians will have themselves set the parameters of what is right and wrong. The very problem for which Adam was evicted from the Garden of Eden and barred from the Tree of Life. They will play by their own rules. Your sin will only be seen as that which transgresses the accepted moral code of the society rather than as a violation of God's holy, holiness. And he goes on, the reality is that all of us are capable of the most serious of sins. If the thoughts of our hearts were truly exposed to public view, even those who abide by the tribal rules of society would be reviewed as utterly corrupt. So it is not that the Gentile world does not have right and wrong, but the problem is they decide what is right and wrong, and it changes. And sin is not something against God, but sin is something that is contradicting the moral norms of the society. And that is a serious problem. So in today's passage, Paul is speaking to the Christians, reminding them and us not to drift back to godless to a godless mindset, forgetting God's salvation and God's word. And since we have been saved, Paul says, let us put off our Gentile self. Let us put off the godless living. And then Paul goes on to verses 20 to 24, calling Christians to put on our Christian self. Now, the Gentile way of life is not how we learn Christ. In verse 21, we now have different sets of lifestyles, a different spiritual dress code, and we are taught the truth that was lived out by Jesus historically when he lived on earth. So what Paul is saying is that we don't just learn about some philosophy, we actually learn the life of Jesus himself, because Jesus did not navigate his life by the demands of his disciples or the crowds. Perhaps you will remember with me, if you have read the gospel before, that Jesus, his popularity was shooting up the roof very quickly when he began his ministry, and his disciples, they were ready to please the crowd. Even in the first chapter of Mark, it tells us this. When Jesus got up early one day, he slipped out to a solitary place to pray. But then Simon Peter and his companions, they searched out for Jesus. And when they found Jesus, they were not saying, oh, you're praying. But they said, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Meaning, what are you doing here? Go to the crowd. 
But instead of going with them, Jesus replied to say, let us go to the next village, the next town, so that I can preach that too, because that is why I have come. Or again, in John's account of the gospel, when the crowds were gathering and saw Jesus perform miracles, where he fed 5,000 with five barley loaves and two fishes, they wanted to make him king. But Jesus, he knew the intention to force him as a king. He withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Because Jesus, he would not entrust himself to human beings, for he knows the hearts of men. And Jesus, when he was here historically, he did not navigate his life by his hunger or thirst. No, when Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, the devil came to him and seemed to be very reasonable. He says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. After all, you are God's son. And if you are God's son, God takes care of you. Surely he wouldn't mind you doing that because he didn't ask you to bring bread along. But in return, Jesus rebutted the devil saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So there we have historically the Jesus who does not live by the gentle or the godless way of life. He did not steer his boat by fleshly desires. Jesus didn't live by the lyrics of John Lennox's song that says, imagine there's no heaven, there's no hell, there are no religions, and we can all live happily in an imaginary life of peace and perhaps imaginary rights and wrongs. But what a horror that would be. If you imagine with me, just for a moment, that everyone in church, we navigate our lives by using our own compass. And all the while we have a, a shirt pocket and in it is a powerful magnet called my desires. And at the end of the day, as we hold this compass, the compass will always point to what our heart says is the true north. And the church would be an immense disaster. And that was the exact picture of the Old Testament just before the flood when everyone follows what their heart says is right. And so Paul, he tells the church, you must learn from Christ. In fact, this is what he says. He says, you did not learn Christ in the Gentile way. You are taught truth in the historical Jesus. You are taught about your old self, which is corrupted by these deceitful desires. And you are taught about truths for the renewal of your minds so that you could put off the old and put on the new self. For you are created, says Paul, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So here we have the work from home fashion of suits and pajamas does not work when it comes to our spiritual life, when we live as God's family. It matters that a bride will put off her muddy and sweaty clothes before she puts on the wedding gown given to her. And that is exactly what the church is. 
No, as Christians, we are to put off our old Gentile self and to put on the new Christian self because we are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, here is where the rubber hits the road. How do we do that? And the rest and the earlier part of Bible of, of Ephesians already told us that it is by His Word and by His Spirit. We were told last week that Christ has given us His church word ministries to equip and build us up. We are called to speak truths in love to build each other up so that we are built up together as a united church in love. It is through scriptures that we know what it means to live as God's children rather than God's enemies. We are reminded in the previous chapters that we have gone through in the past weeks that we have every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. We are chosen by God. God's word tells us we are redeemed through the blood of Christ. We are forgiven of our sins. We are given the revelation of God's will. And in fact, we are sealed with God's own Holy Spirit. It is such that we can now have access to God the Father by His Spirit and the Father dwells with us through His Spirit. So our daily thoughts, our daily walks are no longer shaped by our desires of the flesh, but by the identity we have in Christ. And so, Paul is telling us, we are taught to live out the true righteousness and holiness, that is to live a godly life. To put off our Gentile self, the godless way in the past, and to put on our Christian self, which is godly living in Christ through His Word and by His Spirit. So now, having made clear what we need to put off and put on, Paul finally turns to what a godly life looks like in action. So Paul will be looking into three areas surrounding our Christian lives. And this week, we'll look at one part of it, and the next two weeks, we'll look at the other two parts. Today, we'll look at, from the remaining verses, our relationship with Christ church next week with the world and the following with the Christian household. So look with me straight into this first putting into practice of our Christian self. Look at verse 25 with me. I'm going to read it to us. You can look at the screen or you can read from your Bible. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, contextually, Paul is really speaking to Christians in our interaction with the church. Their neighbors, verse 25, are called the members of one body, that is the body of Christ. So, over the remaining verses for today, Paul again uses the idea of putting away godless living and putting on godly living because how we live with each other reflects our relationship with Christ as well. Now, Paul says, put off falsehood here in verse 25. He goes on to give a whole list of how we should behave. He says, put off falsehood, verse 25. Do not sin just because you are angry, verse 26. 
Do not steal just because you can get away with it in verse 28. And by the way, did I mention about speaking? Yep, do not have unwholesome talk coming out of your mouth, verse 29. And just to emphasize on that for the third time, he goes on, godliness that comes from inside out, do not let it come, brew up inside of you and grow out of you. In verse 31, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slandering along with every form of malices. Now, what is hidden in the heart, the bitterness eventually comes out as a deadly malice against the body of Christ. Now, Paul's point in these ways of life and speech is, by doing this, you do not build up the church. Now, I wonder if you can still remember what is God's intention for the church. Let me recap for us what Paul said early on about God's intention for the church in Ephesians 3 verse 10. I want to read this for us. This is what Paul says. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The church is meant to reveal God's wisdom in the heavenly realms and especially to those who have rebelled against God. No wonder if you look on to today's passage, the remaining section, we will find two persons in the heavenly realms appearing in this section. Two persons in the heavenly realm appearing in this section. The first is the devil. The second is God's Holy Spirit. Look at verse 27. This is what it says. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, when we get angry, the devil wants in. He wants to be consulted on how we should respond. Tooth for tooth towards another Christian brother or sister. Because speaking falsehood is the opposite of speaking truth in love. Brewing the anger overnight is a disastrous breakfast to be served. And stealing whatever form it takes is a response back to our deceptive desires that would corrupt our ability to reason in truth. The, the devil no longer has control over Christians the way he did the Gentiles, but he wants us to think that he still does have control and wants us to sin against each other. But Paul reminds the Christian that we must not put back the old godless way and listen to the devil for verse 30, that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, the devil wants in when we are angry. The Holy Spirit wants glory because we are joined to him. The Holy Spirit wants us to mature in unity as we, turn, as we tune into God's word. Because the church is meant to reveal the manifold wisdom of God to the spiritual realms. Now, by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit whom we are sealed, we are called to, he goes on to say in the passage, we are called to speak truthful to each other, have truthful speech. We are called to commit our angers 
to God before going to bed, verse 26, resolving that we would not sin against each other so that the devil has no foothold on us. He goes on, we must be willing to work hard so that we are able to care and share for those with those who are in need. It goes on verse 28. And then our speech, coming to speech, it should be helpful and edifying, verse 29, so that we can build rather than tear each other up. And so we can refresh those who are weary. Those, we can strengthen those who are weak in the body. We can encourage those who are downcast. We can guide those who are distracted. Now, how do we do that? It is by speaking truth with love. To be Christian in Christless church is to be like our Christ. And so Paul, as he rounds up today's passage, he draws us back once again, not to a whip to whip us, but the motivation to draw us to put on our new self. So look at the last few verses with me in uh, verse 32 and chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Um, look at it from your own Bible as I read it for us. Verse 32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgive you. And follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we have gone a whole circle, and this is how it goes. Instead of walking as the Gentiles walk, in Ephesians 4.17, our first verse, we are to walk as Christ walked in this last verse, in chapter 5, verse 2, to walk the way of love. So to live godly lives among Christians is to remember our God who forgive us and to remember our God who lived a Christian, a, a human life to show us and give us an example and to remember how he loved us and gave his life so that we may have new life. You know, godly living for Christians in relation to the church is about building the church and not tearing the body. Now this Past few days, I've been receiving um, emails from some of my friends from other parts of the world. And one of them, he's a Christian, doing Christian ministry in a country that is predominantly not Christian. There are a lot of deaths happening right, right around them. His neighbors are dying when he zooms. The students, some of them are coughing badly. One of the pastors were overwhelmed with the number of deaths in the church. In situations like this, we are reminded God did not just give one man to hold up the church, but he has given the church to build up the church, that the church will love and will shine in a time that is dark and when people becoming um, against each other and become self-protective, that the church extends the love of Christ and the sacrificial expression that Christ has shown to us. So as we close this afternoon, let us look once again to what Christ has done and to his word as we respond to Paul's instruction 
for us, that we are saved in Christ. And so let us put off our Gentile selves, the past godly way of living. Let us put on our Christian self, which is to put on Christ as he has shown us. And let us put it into practice as a church that will build each other up rather than to tear each other down. And in so doing, it is not letting the devil have a foothold, but it is revealing to him and the rest of the spiritual realms that God in his manifold wisdom has done glorious things. Let us close this time to pray. Would you pray with me together? Oh dear Heavenly Father, we look at our world right now, even our own country, where uncertainty comes. It is easy to fall into our self-centered way of living, ignoring you. It is easy to become racist. It's easy to become divisive. But Father, we pray, we pray God that you help us as a church that we will not live the way of godlessness, but we will remember the love of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, and the hope we have in the future. And that even right now, we have every spiritual blessings. That God, you will be gracious to us, but if it's not the way that we hope it to be, that God, you are still a good God, and that as a church, we will still glorify you because we live the way that Christ has shown us. Help us to hold on to your word. Help us to speak truth in love. And help us to reveal to the spiritual realm that indeed you are a God of manifold wisdom. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. And we now have a short breakout time for you to reflect and share what you've learned uh, in this sermon. Uh, there are three questions here on the screen. You might want to take a snapshot before uh, Jeremy breaks us into the breakout rooms. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.